Hey, I'm Matt Carter from the band Emory, and I've always been obsessed with the creative process and how talented people collaborate in groups to do awesome stuff. And I have a podcast called Labeled about the music scene that's all about that. And for sure, one of the most impactful groups from the whole all-ages underground music scene is Under Oath, who I've observed up close for about 20 years. So I'm launching a new video and podcast series called Labeled Deep Dives that looks deeply at their group dynamics and the creative process, focusing on the creation of their newest and first self-produced album voyeurist here's a clip from it that's why we almost didn't do the record because nobody wanted to say those things nobody wanted to say aside from aaron i can't do another record like the race because you weren't there you checked out and the record suffered for it and you fucked us without those tough conversations you don't understand what's holding you back all right catch the first episode and follow the series at labeleduniverse.com Hey, this is Nathan Gray of Nathan Gray and the Iron Roses, and you're listening to The New Scene Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the new scene. This is Keith. And Tommy. And we're back with another brand new episode. Did you think we weren't going to be here? Did you think there was not going to be another episode of the show this week? Is that what you thought? I mean, come on. What, what are we doing? What are we? What are we? Tell me. I'm waiting. We're consistent, if anything. <laughs> if any- no, see, Tommy, I'm asking. I'm asking the audience what we are. Oh well, I, I need. Yeah, I, I've been. I've been hanging uh, in the breeze. I need to know what we are, so we can move forward with this relationship. What we are is successful. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Don't forget. It. All right, folks. Tonight on the show, the one, the only Dan Ozzy, author of Sellout. Now, if you haven't read this book, I suggest you go pick it up right now. Great book. Great interview. You're going to love this conversation. Guy's really, really great to interview. You can clearly tell he does a lot of like press and stuff. Like he has like very smart answers to things and anecdotes that go along with them. Uh, And there's a lot of stuff that came out that I just didn't know. Like things that, you know, when you read the book, you know, if you haven't, if you're not familiar with it, it, chapter by chapter, it it really catalogs a different band and goes through the the kind of process they went through from being like kind of underground to being mainstream. And uh, man, he just, there's so much work that went into us and it was just really cool to talk to him about his process of writing. Yeah, and we haven't spoken to a writer yet. So we get to dig into the specifics of that and building a writing career. And I have to say, Dan is really funny, too. Oh, yeah. We were laughing a lot. I don't want to say it. Never mind. <laughs> I was going to say Yeah, we're, we're gi- you know what? We're giving away too much even now. How about that? <laughs> so you're going to enjoy the conversation with Dan Ozzy soon enough. But listen, folks, we are in week two of the New Scene Charity Drive. Now, <laughs> now you enjoy the content of the New Scene, but we require listener support for... Uh, all right, all right. Here's what we need. You heard last episode, I'm going to ask again, reviews. We need Apple Podcasts and Spotify reviews. Go into the apps and give us a five-star review. I'm not going to explain how to do it again. Listen to the Walter episode. There are specific instructions. We need reviews. The reviews help us out a lot. We need followers. We need YouTube subscribers. Uh, like and comment, all that, all that nonsense. You know, We say it a lot because it helps us a lot. 
So give it to us. We need it. We're like we're like uh, notification junkies. We want it. We need it. We're itching. Hear that? We're itching for more. <laughs> um, <laughs> and our shirt, our life is music is life. Beautiful, sexy, wonderful long sleeve shirt is available for purchase. Check the link in our Instagram or Twitter bios. Buy the shirt. Best way you can support us right now. That money goes directly into Tommy's pocket so that he can spend it at Costco. Yeah, and I buy cinnamon buns and all kinds of fun stuff, crappy jeans and uh, loosely fitting socks. (laughs) (laughs) So we can't deny Tommy that. We just can't. It would ruin his life. So please support us. Buy the shirt. It's a good shirt. I'm going to, Tommy, I'm actually going to wear the shirt when I get it. Oh, so am I. Yeah. 100%. Does that break the rule? Like, you're not supposed to wear your own band shirt? Uh, no, because it's not really a band. And I think the other thing is, is it's a good conversation starter when people are like, oh, what's the new scene? You'd be like, it's a thing that I do. And wait, I mean that these guys do, and it's really awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just don't wear it to work. Oh, my God, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I just want to say thank you to all of our fans, all of our listeners. We've gotten so much great feedback on the Walter Schreifels episode. So everybody who posted a story, everybody who made a post on their Instagram account, everybody who spread the word, we see you and we really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Oh, 100%. It's really nice to see support, especially like when you see names that you recognize, like people like that have, even guests that have been on the show that like reposting, you're like, thank you. (laughs) I really do appreciate that. It really helps us out a lot. And on top of that, it's nice to know that the people out there that listen do support us. Yeah, we really appreciate you. Thank you. And on to music news. Now, there's so much going on, I almost can't stand it, Tommy. Now, first, Iodine Recordings has announced a new signing. All right, are you ready for this? Go. Here we go. Please welcome to the Iodine roster, Nathan Gray and the Iron Roses. Nathan Gray and the Iron Roses are now part of the Iodine roster. You know Nathan Gray. He's been involved in much great music over the years. And we are now label mates, Tommy, with Nathan Gray. And we've interviewed him before, and he was unbelievably awesome and told great stories. One of my favorite discussions on our entire show, for sure. Yeah, so if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to it. Welcome, Nathan Gray. We look forward to speaking to you again soon. And there's a lot of new music out there. I'm going to start with Rolo Tomasi. The LP is out, where myth becomes memory. Now, Tommy, if we had to do a best records of the year list right now, today, this would be number one for me. I haven't gotten a chance to listen to it all the way through, but what I did listen to on the ride home today is absolutely incredible. Here's What they do really well is they walk the line between heavy music and post-rock it's just it's it's phenomenal they don't there's not many people out there doing anything like it and they are slowly becoming one of my favorite bands in in that style of music yeah the balance is perfect i listened to the whole record through twice twice tommy and my favorite song is still cloaked the song that i listened to 45 times that one day and sent to you (laughs) (laughs) it's a good that came with a really cool video that you uh you 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 have a good knack for like syncing up the music and the video or the audio that goes along with it's really that was a cool one 
Yeah, I feel that Rolo Tomasi should release my Instagram story video in some capacity. What do you think of that? I think that's a great idea. I think it would do <laughs> I think it would do nothing but help them. <laughs> well, congrats Rolo Tomasi on an excellent new LP. We love it. And our dear friends Tommy Circus Survive have released A Dream About Death. Let me hear your thoughts first. So I was a little like I I didn't know really what to think of it when I first listened to it. Uh, I listened to it on the way to work today, and actually, I listened to the the single that came out, Electric Moose, and it was one of the times where I'm going again. Circa has done something completely new and completely out of left field, and yet at the same time, still recognizable as Circa. There's so many bands out there that try to reinvent themselves and end up kind of going off the deep end or taking too far of a path to one direction. And it, it, they lose a lot of the people that are with them or they go in a direction that you don't expect. And it's really not, not great. Uh, but Circa has done this in a way that it's a strong move towards an electronic sound, but it fits, it works. And I'm just so glad that this turned out in a way that they're going to have all the fans that they already still have. And this is going to bring in some brand new people that have really not been exposed to Circa. And it's going to be a whole new uh, you know, group of people that are just going to be excited and be able to go listen to the back catalog work. Uh, yeah, I love it. I love it. Another great entry in the new era of Circa. My favorite tracks are Late Nap and Buzzhenge. The whole thing is great. Highly recommend it. Check it out. And we want to send... Our well wishes out to Circus Survive, too. They had to cancel the Blue Sky Noise anniversary tour again because of COVID. And they announced that Anthony is having some mental health issues that he's working through. Whatever's going on, Anthony, we wish you the best. And the rest of the band, we wish you the best. You know, they're our friends, Tommy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, with everything with Anthony, my biggest concern is always making sure that his prior like our everybody's priority whether you are a fan or a friend is everybody's health and well-being you know i i know people are disappointed i know people are like well i've been this is the second time shut up (laughs) like i've known anthony since i was 13 years old this would not be done without warrant like there is something legitimate happening and it needs to be taken care of. So I understand people's disappointment, but I also, I follow a couple of people that are like, uh, you know, circus survive fan pages and the outpouring of people, you know, being understanding and, and really hoping for Anthony, his, re- you know, his recovery and getting better um, is overwhelming. So I, I'm just so glad that their fans are, you know, just really welcoming and accepting people and, and most importantly, understanding. And supportive. I did scan the Instagram post just to see if there was any negative people in there. And thankfully, every comment I saw was positive. And that's the way it should be because the health and well being of everybody in that band is the most important thing. Absolutely. Oh, and Tommy, I did listen to that new Meshuggah track, The Abysmal Eye. Oh, yeah. Insanely good. And I mean this in the best way. There was such a weird time signature towards <laughs> the end. It like, it's like my brain couldn't process it. There, it was like, a blip. I was like, wait, what, what is that? Yeah. What is that? Yeah. During some of the, like the straightforward metal parts, it's very easy to capture. Like, okay. Uh, you know, the rhythm is easy to come along with, but uh, there are some fills in there that you're like, I know this guy's a genius and I know he is absolutely on time, but I, in my head, I'm going like, 
what's happening right now? <laughs> and, and, <laughs> yeah, like there's like this extra snare hit, and I'm like, what is that? How is he doing that? I I don't get it. Um, <laughs> the other one, uh, in terms of new releases, is Kublacon put out that new EP. Uh, it is called Swan Song. It can it has Scott Vogel from Terror on it. It is called Swan Song. The lyrics are unbelievably powerful, and on top of that, the the track is just crushing. They are such a great band. I love everything that they do, and I love that they are just they never shy away from things that are uncomfortable to talk about. And this song full on addresses things that are definitely uh, as a touring band they've run into. And uh, it is really, really uh, it's a powerful song, but at the same time, just the breakdowns are just crushing. It's so good. Yes. Congrats. Kubla Khan on another great release. But now folks, it is time. We are going to speak to Dan Ozzy. Enjoy. All right, folks, we're here now with Dan Ozzy. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's wonderful to have you here, Dan. And I'm going to start off by asking you, how are you doing today? Today, I'm pretty good, except I just uh, I just had an interview. I got bumped, I guess is the industry term, just before this, for the third time. And it's like, okay, oh, like, no. you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool, fool me twice. I mean, this is what I'm saying is it's my fault at this point, you know. Are you willing to reveal no, the show? No, that I has can't. Bumped- <laughs> I can't. That's, you know, against the podcaster's code. <laughs> yeah, I, I I feel you on that. What is the Dan Ozzy policy in that case? Like, you've been bumped three <laughs> times. Would you still go on again if they contacted you? Yeah, or you we're going to do point? We're going to try to do it tomorrow. Because <laughs> I was like, well, that's it for me. I got to have some set of standards. I'm a friggin' best-selling author. Come on. And then they were like, can we do it tomorrow? And I was like, all right. <laughs> what, what, oh, okay. what else am I going to do? Because if you clamp down and say, all right, I'm not doing it, ultimately you're only hurting yourself. Right. Yeah. So, you know, maybe I can just, I, what I would like to do is just get a friend who knows enough that they can just fill in for me. You know, that's what I, I should hire, like a <laughs> task rabbit or like a fiver to just do this for me. I've had that thought where I'm like, you know, I don't know what any of the people actually sound like that I speak to in most cases. So it could just be any guy yeah. or any person. It, yeah, it would be great if it was like a woman that came on the show and was like, you seem to not know a whole lot about this book. And she'd just be like, ah, no, it's me, Dan Ozzy. <laughs> it's like, you have a weird Russian accent also. It's like, ah, no. <laughs> da. <laughs> <laughs> I'm him, the guy from the book. <laughs> so uh you live in los angeles yes, yes that's right how long have you been out there? um i am almost about to hit three years which is not that long considering it was only like 11 normal months and then the hell world that we live in now how did you end up out there uh by plane <laughs> i got i got <laughs> on one and then they opened the door and they were like welcome to los angeles and i was like okay great i live I live here now, I guess. Is that <laughs> But why? Like, why move? You were from New York City originally, Here's right? the thing. Or you lived in I New did. York City? I did. I was born and raised in New York City, but I just yes. love traffic. I love everything about it. <laughs> I love sitting in it. I love talking about it with friends. I love downloading apps that tell me about traffic. Um, and it just seemed like this was the place to be. If you're, if you're a big traffic head, 
um, LA is where it's at. You know, it's the big, big traffic scene happening out here. Yeah. So that, that seems to be the place for you then. I, that is why I would never want to live there because Dan, as a former New York resident, you know how spoiled we get here with, you know, I can walk to everything in half a block or, you know, I take two subway stops to where I'm going. So the idea of sitting in traffic for two hours to go 10 miles each way is well, not One great. of the things that blew my mind when I first moved here, like before I owned a car, is that there really aren't bodegas here, or at least like there right. are, but they're kind of like few and far between. And so like just having my mind blown that like you couldn't just walk from anywhere to get just like an 11 p.m. Sprite and uh, you know, Entenmann's donut combo. I was like, what? <laughs> but I, ne- I need it, though. It's 11 p.m. and I need my snacks. And I just can't do that. So that took me so long to get used to out here. Like, one of the, the thing that I wish I could change most is the, uh, the bodega on every corner, you know? I'm with you on that. I will get a hankering for a Haagen-Dazs ice cream bar at midnight. So I will walk out of my apartment and the streets are bare. So I walk directly down the middle of the street like a crazy person to the bodega. And Good I feeling. You're just under the street lights and you just spend $2.50 on one item. Isn't that great? Like now I like, oh yeah, I, sh- I food shop like once a week and I stock up and then I have food for the week, whatever. But I miss just like, no, I would like to purchase one ice cream bar. For just so much more than it would work out to if I just bought a box of six of them, you know, like three times the price is that. Uh, but I want one and I want it now. So I didn't want to address that, but I would. I, yeah, I, I am a I'm a bulk buyer. I'm a Costco guy. Yeah. I'm a like put everything in the freezer. I got a couple refrigerators at my house. I have a couple deep freezers, a like couple stock up. A oh, couple yeah. refrigerate? I didn't. I, I didn't realize I was on the line with a, fr- a bunch of friggin' oh. Rockefellers over here. I'm, <laughs> you're the richest actually, person I have ever heard of. Two refrigerators, two refrigerators. It's like the Carnegies over here. Actually, like, now that I'm thinking uh, about it, I have two also. <laughs> Sorry, I, I was like, wait. Also, hold on. I have now that I'm thinking about it, I have a second one too. Okay, never mind. I guess that's not that impressive. But I like buy- I like buying stuff uh, that I would normally buy at a convenience store and just stocking up on it at my house. Like Keith comes over my house and we'll have uh, I have glass bottle Coke and I have mm. thirty of them sitting downstairs ready to go. What's a, what is a good uh, you know ten p.m. Um, bodega snack haul for you? Like I, I me personally, I think I'm going like a root beer and a Andy Cap hot fries. Like that's a good. I think that's a respectable you know, order those go together, I think. Oh, absolutely. That's good. I do. What's the cream? What's the good cream soda they have here in New York? Is it a, oh shoot, doctor or something? They got Virgil's? I can't remember. I can't remember it. It'll come to me, but I I do a Haagen-Dazs ice cream bar or Chip Witch, the original Mm -hmm. Chip Witch. And then I have these little sprites or the the cream soda. Yeah, how about a cream soda and a coffee cake? That'd be like a Drake's coffee cake. Ooh. They just changed the yes. shape of them. And it's bizarre. that's bizarre to me. Why would they do it? I feel like it's messing with me specifically. And it says on the package, like, new shape. It's like, well, but we were just getting used to the old. We were fine with this. Like, the <laughs> shape that it was, we were fine with that. We didn't need a new coffee cake shape. So, Dan... Mm. Let's get to know you a little bit. I feel like you did just now. I feel like the most intimate thing you could tell a person is their bodega order. (laughs) 
we're going to find out, well, we know that, and we're going to dig even deeper. So where in New York did you grow up? I grew up in Staten Island, New York. Now, growing up in Staten Island, what is that like? And, you know, there's a lot of jokes about Staten Island and how it's uh, the island of New Jersey and all this stuff. But what, what, what's it really like? Give us your experience. Well, all the jokes are, are grounded in reality, for sure. But at the same time, it's weird because you're like, uh, when somebody makes a joke about Staten Island, you're like, hey. Like, at once, it's like, okay, maybe it might be accurate. But at the same time, you're like, hey, that's – you don't do that. That's like when somebody makes fun of your little brother. You know, like, I can do right. that. That's my little brother. But, like, you're not going to do that. So uh, yeah. so it kind of is like that. It, 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 is mock- it deserves the mockery it gets. But also the people making those jokes are probably not coming from any place any better. Um, but it's a it's – a, um, an interesting place to grow up it you know my friend and i are always joking about how you can kind of get a good glimpse at somebody's worldview through their art and he often jokes that you can very much see that i grew up like a a person who just hated the world because of satin island which i think is true like it really made me <laughs> like hate society and like hate <laughs> um the people like it made me very um uh <laughs> it, it was you know i don't know where to go with this that i haven't backed myself into a corner but uh you know it, it makes you very aggro towards the world it's a very weird place <laughs> to grow up i mean uh i'm with you on that because tommy and i grew up outside of slash in philadelphia mm-hmm. And Philadelphia has the same rep as angry and ridiculous. And it's the same thing. Like, I can talk shit about it, but you can't unless you're from there, too. And, you know, people have people have told me in recent years that I seem a lot less angry. And I'm like, thank you. Like, how how angry was I? What what, did it come out? You know, so it's just I don't know. It's just just a Northeast slash Philadelphia thing, I guess. Yeah. And it's really weird having moved to the West Coast. Because, like, I feel like I didn't hear a person honk their horn for, like, six months that I lived here. You know, it's like, what? Why do people communicate <laughs> wow. here? It's, it's weird. <laughs> um, so there's, there's parts of my uh, East Coast anger that I would like to shed, for sure, um, as I live on the, on the West Coast. But, uh, yeah, there's a little bit of, like, no-nonsense attitude that I would like to maintain, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Like when uh, I go, I have to go to the West Coast sometimes for work. And I remember people would straight up ask me, like, you're from the Northeast, aren't you? And I'd be like, yes, I am. Yeah, yeah I just I guess I have the well, vibe. If I have to wait for any longer than a few minutes on a line for food, especially. I'm like, are you fucking yeah. kidding me? Like this would not this would just get you just get eaten alive in New York. And also, too, there's another weird thing that I don't think really exists uh, on the East Coast or in New York anyway. But like there's a lot of places here um, like restaurants or bars or coffee shops or whatever. And weirdly, they'll just like have two days or one day a week where they're closed. Like, oh, yeah, they're closed on Monday and Tuesdays. And you're like, <laughs> what? Like, <laughs> How do they survive? Like, what? Mondays? Like, how can you be closed for two? Like, I can't tell you how many times I've, like, gone to a coffee shop to work. And it'll I'll get there in the sign. I'll just be like, oh, I, we're closed on Wednesdays. And I'm like, what? How? <laughs> That's, no. Um, do they take off drinking coffee on Wednesday? And I don't what, know. What, what, I guess they're just like, we just have enough 
I don't, I don't know. I don't run a business and I don't know. Maybe the rent is such that they can afford to only be open for five days a week. Um, but that's a decidedly not East Coast thing. Can you imagine doing that around here? Bars there would just be earlier. people standing out, people standing out front, just being like, "Yo, Chief, you gonna open up?" Yeah. <laughs> so you're growing up in Staten Island. Tell us about it. What What's your thing? Did you? Because um, you know, typically I'll go through like somebody's music history and how they started playing instruments and all that. But Dan, you're most commonly known as a writer, but. What was your thing? Tell us about growing up and hanging out and what you were into. Well, you know, like I, again, like going back to what's unique about Staten Island, I think that um, for someone like me, you almost get your identity shaped by more by what you don't like, you know, and like uh, Staten Island is a very homogenous, the part that I grew up in anyway is a, a very like homogenous area. Where, you know, I mean, like it was when I went to high school, it was just a couple of years prior to, um, you know, like the Jersey Shore airing. And it was right also too. it was right in the air in the in the like releases of like Fast and the Furious. So it was like that was the culture, this sort of like Guido culture with like really stupid cars, you know, with like uh, <laughs> like uh light kits and everything on them and shit, you know, and like those, that blowout haircut and like, um, so that was like the culture and it was awful. It was an awful place to live. And all, all the men were really like macho and, you know, complete assholes and, and, and sexist, you know, and the, and the women were like, I realized I just said the men were sexist, but the women were like very obnoxious and stupid. Um, so it was just like, you know, everybody there was just like intolerable. It was like a really bad place to be. Um, so when you found like the, the, the weird, like punk kids or whatever, you know, there weren't like a lot of them on Staten Island, but you definitely clung to them. Right. Um, so whoever was like a skateboarder, or whoever was like into, you know, the bouncing souls or whatever, like they were just your friend by default, like whether you liked them or not, you know, cause it was like kind of slim pickings. Um, so I feel like, uh, yeah, in a way like Staten Island molded that, uh, part of me. Cause you definitely just like see what you don't want to be like, you're like, Oh wow, these people are awful. I don't want to, I want to be the opposite of them. Um, so in a weird way, I feel like the culture of Staten Island shaped me into getting into punk and skateboarding and stuff like that. Nice. Yeah. I, similar to that in grade school for me, it was still kind of jocks for, well, everyone versus me, but jocks especially. So I rejected that and found acceptance with hardcore kids and that whole community and everything. So you're into skating, you're into punk rock. Tell us about some of the early bands that grabbed you and like some early show going experiences. Well, I was really like a big in, in high school. Like I really feel like the bouncing souls were the band that really connected everybody that I was friends with in freshman and sophomore year. You know, they were really like the hot band in the tri-state area at that time. And like really like thinking back to it, everybody that I was friends with in high school, regardless of like what high school they went to, like everybody had Bouncing Souls patches. You know, I feel so I feel like that one was a really important one for me. And I don't know, like I, you know, like from ages like 13 to 15, it was like a lot of the the bands that that kids get into at that age when they find punk and hardcore you know like dead kennedy's minor threat uh yeah i don't know like that 
and and then also too, like there was some stuff that I'm like not as proud of in hindsight. That was like more of its time, like you know H2O and stuff like that that I wouldn't cop to listening to today. Um, but yeah, that that kind of stuff I would say was was prevalent. Did you go into the city and travel around for to go to shows? Yeah, well, that's like the one thing that Staten Island has going for it is that. Uh, it, you know, there was for a brief period, like a little scene going on in Staten Island. And then, but uh, yeah, you could get to the city. Um, you could get to New Jersey. You could get to Philly. Um, so there was like a, a that part of it in hindsight. Maybe I didn't appreciate it at the time, but that part w- uh, was um, beneficial about Staten Island. So yeah, like when I was in high school, I would like take the ferry to Manhattan. And then sometimes like, go to ABC No Rio or the Knitting Factory or like kind of CBGB, but not really. Like I think by the time I started going to the show, CBG was, was kind of like a shell of its former self. And it wasn't really, it wasn't like that. I was against it. It was just that like no shows that I really wanted to go to were often booked there. You know, it was more like brownies and, and tramps and stuff like that. I'm blown away by people who grow up around here. I imagine kids just growing up and running wild in Manhattan. Did you get into any of that? Any troublemaking? No, not really. I mean, like, going to Manhattan was such a chore from Staten Island that I I don't know. Like, I never felt really at home there. It was just going in and coming out. And in fact, like, you know, um, when I would go there this was like pre-smartphones and so um you know just using the mta maps and abc no rio is kind of like confusing to get to to the ferry and so me and my friends would always go and be like hey do you remember how to get there like no do you like no and so we would have to like (laughs) we what we would always do and it like worked every time surprisingly was we would get into manhattan and we would just like find the person who like was a punk you know like we would find somebody who had a mohawk and just follow them like we would just kind of like (laughs) low-key follow this person with a mohawk and and then eventually like invariably it would lead us to abc no rio because like no why else would you be out at 2 p.m on a saturday right um so yeah we would just like follow them uh and then like come back home after that but no i don't feel like i really got into like manhattan trouble or anything how did you decide you wanted to start writing? Um, well, kind of a big question because like I decided that I wanted a or like I was just in school really good at any language related stuff. Like and especially like in regards to you know, in comparison to like science and math, which just didn't click for me as easy as easily. And so I like language was just easy and not just English. Like, you know, when I would take foreign languages or whatever, I was just like, Oh yeah, I get this. Like I get how the roots of words work, you know? Um, and so like, you know, once you think in, in those terms, you know, going into college, I was kind of like, Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do as a career, but I know it's not going to be something that involves like math or science. Like I'm not going to be an accountant here, you know, I'm going to do something that involves, uh, words or, or writing somehow. Right. But then kind of like, I don't know, in college, I, I've been like trying to like, you know, I've been trying to like map this out better because I keep getting asked about it and it's like a hard thing to explain, but I, I really feel like when I was in college, I kind of started to accept this defeatist mentality that like, you can't write for a living, 
you know, and I don't know where that comes from other than like, maybe I just thought that it was really hard, you know, or like what, what job would I have, you know, like how do you become a, a book writer or how do you become any kind of writer? I just didn't know. And so I almost took it as like a, like an impossibility or a fantasy and took it more in the direction of like, okay, well, what could I do? Could I work at a magazine? Could I work at a book publisher? Could I work at an ad agency or something like that? I don't know, you know, but like, I just kind of put it out of my head because being like a full-time writer seemed such like such a fantasy, you know, it didn't seem like a a career uh, opportunity. That's interesting. Yeah. I had a similar experience. I, you know, all of my friends were in bands and touring and that's what I wanted to do as well. But I just, it just seemed impossible. I didn't know how to get it together. I didn't know how to push it. It it just, you know, I, I just felt lost. Yeah. I don't, I wish that like, I, I'm not, I'm not one to like, uh, regret the way life turned out. Life turned out pretty good. Um, but like one thing that I really wish is I, I I just wish that I would have gotten a better grasp on my career path and started it from an earlier age. You know, like I wish that I had just like, just decided like, okay, to get into writing, you have to work really hard at it at a young age. You know, like my cousin, Mike, um, he's like my first cousin. And I'm just like, he he (laughs) played in the NFL for nine years and really impressive career, you know? Um, But the thing that impresses me the most about it is he just like, you know, to, 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 to be a professional football player, you have to like know that that's the track you're on at age like 14. You know, like you have to just play football all through high school. Then you have to know you're going to college for football and then you have to try to get into the NFL. And like that track just starts so early. And I kind of wish at, at that age, like similarly, I had kind of like gone through the writing training program, you know, like writing, you know, whatever the football equivalent for writing is, you know, um, I wish that I had done that. I just, but I didn't. And like, even in college, like, um, I remember you had to pick your major by like your last semester of sophomore year. And I picked it like right at the end. Cause I still didn't even like, know what, you know, like I was just like, I'm midway into college and I still don't know what my, I should major in. Um, so I really wish that I had like gotten my shit together a little bit. Like I, I but I didn't know anybody who was like a writer. Like I didn't know anybody older. There was nobody in my family who did it. You know, like I didn't know anybody who could be like, "Hey, you want to be a writer? Here's what you should do and do it now and just do it regularly." I just didn't know. Like I didn't know about that as like a career or anything. Um so I've kind of been like I I often consider myself like a late bloomer cuz I I just didn't you know, I didn't get it together until like fairly recently in life. You know, I really feel you on that because sim, yeah, similar to you, I I don't think I really figured things out until I don't know two years ago. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just like I got sidelined with a lot of stuff, and then uh, everything just lined up where the software is there and the drive is there and the everything lines up, and you can just really start what doing what you want to do. So. How did things start to come together for you? Um, well, you know, like a, a bit of bad fortune. There's this quote by Cormac McCarthy that I love where uh, it says, um, you never know what worse luck your bad luck has saved you from. And I I was having like a shitty age 30. Um, I, I had been working in book publishing for a while and 
I had just gone through a breakup and a move and I took this job because I was like, oh, maybe it'll help me uh, feel better. But it didn't. Like I I just had this job at where it was like a really bad bad fit, you know, and um and I was just depressed. Like I was just really, you know, and I think maybe when you get to age 30, all the things that you haven't done in life start to like catch up to you. And um and you know, like not pursuing writing more seriously was uh, a regret that I had, and especially working in book publishing where you're like working on other people's books. It's just like a constant reminder of this like dream that you never pursued. And so I was like 30 and I'd been working this one place for like uh, Penguin for like 10 months or so. And um, I like had this like kind of bad meeting with my boss. And then I just like went home and I decided like, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit this job and I'm going to I'm going to pursue writing. And I had some like money saved up because again, like I was working, but I was just depressed and I wasn't going out. So I had money saved up and I was like, well, I'll probably take a hit financially for a while. And, but this will, this will, you know, like people pay to go to grad school. This is like my grad school, right? This is like a career change. I'm investing in myself. I'll, I'll try it for a year or whatever. If it doesn't work, whatever. Um, so I was like writing and I was getting like freelance gigs, but it wasn't like enough to really pay the bills, but it was, Sometimes those little victories keep you going, you know, and then um, I, and then I started writing for this website, Noisy, and the stuff that I was writing was doing pretty well for them. And then they they were they asked me to be like a guest editor, just basically come in like I think it was like two days a week at first. And they were like, yeah, just come in two days, two days a week. We'll pay you for the day. And you can just, you know, write what you want and post like three things a day or whatever. And um, and yeah, come in two days a week. So I did that. And I was doing well there. And, and they were like, okay, why don't you come in three days a week? And I was like, okay. And then they were like, you should come in four days a week. And then eventually they were just like, you should just, why don't you just work here? And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I just started working there. And I, I worked really hard because <clears throat> having spent almost like a decade um, in a career where I wasn't doing what I wanted, you know, all of a sudden I had this opportunity to do what I wanted. And I was, I really took it seriously. You know, I really worked hard. And um, this is not to like, generalize the people who worked at this was you know noisy was at vice and this is not generalizing like uh the people at vice and this is not even saying it's a bad thing but a lot of people who worked at vice like really wanted a party like it was like a fun environment where everybody there is like 26 and hot you know and i i could see why (laughs) it's like a fun place to be you know and they really got into the culture of it i didn't get into the culture of it i just wanted to work like i was like holy shit like i have an opportunity to get things published whenever i want and so i worked i worked really hard um there and i was there for like i think five years or so so yeah that's when you got on my radar because i think i remember seeing you on twitter or the articles or something and i was like wow here's someone writing about all the music i love the most am i imagining this or was there an ink and dagger article at some Ooh, point? yeah there might have been i didn't write it but i think i might have published my friend david's piece about ink and dagger but that was the kind of stuff that i like those were the kind of pitches i want you know because it's funny because but when i was just freelancing it kind of sucked because I was sending pitches to editors at places like, uh, I don't even remember, like, who even covers music? Like, where you know, you're just websites and stuff like that. And you're just sending pitches out. And you're like, hey, I know this new band called 
or like whatever, like I want to write something about the history of ink and dagger or whatever, you know, and, and like, they would just say no, you know, because, and I get it. Like, it was like, why, why would they, you know, like who, who's, who's even heard of this shit? You know, like I want to write about like pianos become the teeth and they're like, well, I don't know what that is. And I would get turned down, you know, I got turned down so much. And then it was a really weird effect because I went to noisy and I was just publishing stuff about stuff that I like. And that's what they hired me to do. You know, they're like, you seem to have a, a pretty good sense of your audience. Just do that here. Just do what you want. And I was like, okay. And I, I was writing stuff about like the Lawrence arms and like United Nations and like just, you know, just shit that I liked that I just didn't see covered very much. And it was a really weird effect because it was all that shit did so well for noisy. And my colleague, my coworkers would be like, I've never heard of this. Like, how is this so popular and I've never heard of it? And I'm like, it's because, like, nobody paid attention to this, you know? And, like, the audience is there, just nobody gave it, like, a fair shake. And so when I was there, I was just trying to write about stuff that I thought didn't get ri written about very much. And I was trying to take pitches about stuff that I, I thought wouldn't really get picked up anywhere else. And so, um, you know, not to get on my high horse about it, but I just I just don't feel like a lot of places were covering the stuff that I was covering when I first got there. No, I think that's great. And that's sort of how this podcast started, too, because I didn't hear anyone interviewing the bands I wanted to hear interviewed and asking the questions that I wanted to hear. So I'm like, OK, let me do that myself. And it sounds like you did that with a lot of great music, too, which is awesome. Yeah. And it was it was so funny how how so much of it felt like ground zero. Like I did an article. I wrote a profile of Dillinger 4 where I went not on tour. I was just kind of with them for like three days. Uh, well, I guess a three day tour, whatever. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, and it was just so funny because like that band had been around at that point for like 20 years and their Wikipedia page was like two sentences long. And I was just like, wow, <laughs> I'm really like, this is, you know, when you, you just feel like you go to like a, uh, I've been watching Deadwood re recently. So I feel like I was going to like mine for gold in these areas that like, hadn't been touched yet you know and it wasn't like i was so good at mining the gold it was just like nobody had been to this area yet um so that's kind of what it felt like for for a while there oh that's awesome yeah and you know this is good advice for anyone trying to carve out a writing career for themselves so let's back up a little bit before you get the job with vice you quit your job mm -hmm. right you decide you're going to give writing a go. What kind of gigs did you do and how did you get them? Um, well, you know, one thing that like helped me big time was that I having worked, I worked in book publishing for like eight years or something like that at that point. And um, I got a couple of freelance gigs, um, like, like publishing work. And so I was spending like half my day doing that and then half my day like pitching writing stuff. So that like helped pay the bills for a little bit. Um, so that was like just a side gig that I had. But like as far as like writing, I don't even remember. The th I remember the thing that pushed me into Noisy was uh, I feel like there were just like more music blogs around at that time. And I wrote this thing for this blog, AOL Spinner. It was like AOL's music site. And I like wrote it. Uh, I got commissioned to write it. And I was like, yes, finally, I, I, I got a, a green light. And then like 
two days later, they announced that the site was just shutting down. And I was like, God, <laughs> and that's what it felt like. It was like one step forward, two steps back. But you know, that, that ended up being like, again, you never know what worse luck your bad luck has saved you from. Um, they paid me a kill fee for it, which is great. And then I pitched it at, at noisy and I got it ran there. And so I got like double paid for it and it like totally opened this world of noisy to me. So it kind of like that one accident, now that I'm thinking about it, like really kind of changed my life for the better. Wow. That's awesome. So you're at noisy for a while. Yes. What happens? Do you leave there for something else? Does it shut down? What happened? You know, like I, I had been there for like five years and I was definitely feeling some burnout and also too, like, you know, a company like that, like a media company, it changes and it, it goes through these like growing pains and it, it, you know, it had really become a different company by the time, like in the, in the time that I was there. And so like, I knew I just like was hitting the wall and, and my backup, my like exit strategy was like, I really had this idea for this book in my mind. And I was like, you know, if I could sell that book, um, I could probably pretty safely quit the job. And, um, and so I did, and, but it was like, so, so much more like drawn out than that, you know, it was like coming up with a proposal and, and like getting it sold and then like making sure the deal went through and then quitting. And like, I really, you know, it's not something that like happens in a weekend. It was like a lot of strategic planning to like, okay, what's my exit strategy going to be? Right. Did that book end up being sell out? Sell out. Ah, uh, yeah. So we're going to get there. Uh, in addition to writing Sellout, you co-wrote Tranny, Confessions of Punk Rock's Most Infamous Anarchist, uh, Laura Jean Grace's autobiography, co-written by you. Yes? Yes. So when did that come into play? When I was at Noisy, um, I think probably in 2015 that, that came into play. Um, Laura, I had met Laura after like years of following her music, and um, I said that she should write a column for me and she did. Um, she was writing a column for me and I was editing her and we had a pretty good working relationship. And then one day out of the blue, she just kind of asked me if I wanted to help her with her book. And I was like, hell yeah, let's do that. Um, yeah. So that, that came out, that came about in like 2015, probably. How does the process work? Do you meet with her and she kind of walks you through all the stories and then you're shaping it into a, uh, a story narrative um yeah like that was kind of like what i was hired to do is like help guide her through or you know putting her entire life down and yeah that was that was like one of the first and most fun weekends uh of of book work was we really just like sat there i interviewed her for like maybe two straight days and and then also we just um mapped out like what's this story gonna look like you know like what's chapter one like literally like i now that i'm thinking about it we had like all these things written down and she had like these journal entries that we had sorted by a year and i remember we really were like okay what's the story and then like okay let's figure out what the chapters are gonna be and i have this picture of like we're on the floor of a studio and um just sitting on the this is like fun to me but we were just like sitting on the floor and just like had stacks of paper, like 12 stacks of paper. And we were like, this is what's going to go into all the chapters. These are the 12 chapters. Um, and so, like, yeah, that was the early work, like literally just mapping out the storyline, you know? Oh, that's yeah, that's interesting. It's almost like a band. You get together in the room, you have all the stuff and you're like 
you're turning it into something something beautiful. Yeah, and we were literally like in a in a studio. Like we were in her friend Mark's studio where she's recorded a bunch of stuff. Um and there were like instruments all around us except like except for playing them we were just, you know, <laughs> writing the words. So you're working on this book. Are you envisioning sellout while this is going on as well? Does this does this help you with the process of thinking, okay, I can write this book? No, not really. I mean, well, I don't think that I actually, you know what? I, I don't remember when I first had the idea, but I can I can timestamp I can timestamp at least when I knew because I remember the night before um Laura's book came out, our publisher took us to like a nice dinner in Manhattan and we were walking there and James Murphy walked past us. I don't know why I remember that. Um but we got to the restaurant and then uh, the publisher was like, oh, you know, like, what's new? What, what, Dan, like, what's next for you? And I was like, oh, well, I, I kind of have this idea for a book. And their ear, I remember their, like, ears perked up. And they were like, oh, well, what is it? And I told them. And then I remember, that I, maybe this is just how I remember it. But then I remember them being kind of like, oh, okay. You know, like, maybe I lost them <laughs> or something. Um, but that book would eventually become sellout. And so I don't remember exactly when I had it that idea but i can definitely say that that kind of crossed over because that was the night before laura's book came out and i had the the seed of the idea and how was the response to laura's book did it do well did you get a good feedback new opportunities all that stuff yeah it did really well and you know what like this is gonna sound maybe a little bit jaded or something like that but you know it got such a good reaction and I was almost like weary of it in a way because I, like Laura is a person that like, I don't think that you would take a shot at her unless you really had a reason to. And so like, you know, when the music press like kind of fawned over it, I was like, well, yeah, I think I kind of expected that. What I was more curious to see was like, what are like just book reviewers going to think of this? And then we got like good reviews and like the Washington Post and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, wow, that's cool. Like maybe like, because I really wanted to help Laura have like a good book. You know what I mean? Like I wanted people to pick it up and be like, wow, this woman really crushed it. You know, like I, th this, this could be like Patty Smith or something like that. You know, like I really wanted people to just be like, this is a, a really good piece of literature that this, that this woman, it's like, yeah, it's about punk rock, but like, it's more than that, you know? And um, so, like, when when book critics and stuff gave it the thumbs up, I was like, woo, that's cool. <laughs> you know, that's fucking cool. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's always nice to be involved in a a project that you're really proud of and you you did your best and all that stuff. But but it is nice when it's recognized by uh, outside entities and they like. Yeah, it too. I mean, you, you can't get too hung up on stuff like that. But I, I remember <laughs> um, it was really crazy because, like, it was a month before the book even came out. It, no, it was a lot. It was more than that because it was the end of the summer. Uh, but I guess like advanced copies had gone out to like reviewers and stuff like that. And I remember, it, yeah, it was in the summer because at Noisy, we did like a summer Friday and we were like, let's just go to a bar and play ping pong. And we, were, I remember I was playing ping pong and, and one of my coworkers was, was like, hey, Dan, um, this list just came out and my friend says that you're on it. And I was like, oh, and it was um, a billboard published a list and it, it was called the hundreds hundred greatest music books of all time and he was like he said your book is on it and i was like really and i was trying to like play it cool but he was like scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and he's like dude you're not in the top 
you're not in the, like the bottom 50, like you're in the top 50. Cause I'm not, and I was like, holy shit. And then it was number 42 and I was like, wow, holy shit. And I was like trying to play it cool because like that kind of stuff is like not real in a sense, but I was like, wow, this, that's nuts. Because that was the first time I, th- I thought like this book might actually be, have, have like a weird life. Cause it's not even out yet. And it's on a list like that. Like that's nuts, you know? So yeah, that was like a really surreal thing. That was like the first crazy thing that happened, I think. So it kind of sounds like you had like all these like journal pieces, you had all of her separate stories. How do you take something that's kind of like all these disparate pieces and then weave this thematic element through it? Good question. And I don't even remember, <laughs> I should like look at my notes, but like, hmm, that's a really good question. Um, I remember, you know, like one thing that like really guided the story itself was like her dysphoria, you know, because it's almost like a secret in the book that gets revealed. Like the reader knows it, but everybody else, it's kind of like, it's like what we're building to the entire book, right? Her like coming out. And so I remember that guided a lot of the story where it's just like in, in the beginning, if you look at that book, like in the, be- like in the beginning, it's very dysphoria heavy. Like we're setting up the, uh, the reader to understand like she was having these feelings early on and they were very heavy. And then, you know, life started happening. She started getting, she was in a band that got more popular. And we kind of like in the middle of the book, let it fade to the background almost completely. And then at the end, it really like charges back and it builds and builds and builds into this like big release where she comes out and everything. And and that was very deliberate. Like I, I tried to like do a color coordinating of what that would look like on a, on a graph. I know this is really nerdy, but like, um, but like, yeah, that, that, so that really helped dictate like, okay, how much are we going to give away in each chapter? What therefore is the chapter going to be about, you know? Uh, and so that like in a weird way, um, was the guiding principle. And, and this sounds so, this sounds so like snobby and I don't mean it like this, but it almost like uh, ruined me for uh, other rock memoirs. Like I read a lot of them and I I hate to sound like a snob, but sometimes I'm like, well, big deal, you know, like, because I don't know, Laura's is like a regular memoir, except it has this like secret underneath it and it's beautiful. And I don't think that there's another book like it. And, you know, I read, um, like as an example, I, I like last year or two years ago, maybe I read Wayne Kramer from the MC5's memoir and it was good. And, you know, he told stories about growing up in Detroit and it was really interesting. And then it just like ended. And I was like, okay, but like, like Laura's book has this, but also there's just like this whole other secret layer underneath it. You know, it's like such a miracle book. And like, so other rock memoirs, I'm like, yeah, this was just a person in a band, like big fucking deal, you know? And so like, I know that sounds snobby, but I don't mean to like trash all rock memoirs, but um, I do think that there's like, that's just me saying, I think there's something really special about Laura's book that gives it a a whole other dimension um, that other book, that other rock memoirs don't have. Yeah. I just imagine you storyboarding, like thinking like, all right, we're, we're giving this away here, but we're pulling it back here. Like that is really, really cool. I, thank you so much. Yeah, for that. no big time. Like the, everything that I, yeah, I'm very careful about like when and how things are revealed throughout a, a, a long work like that, you know? Yeah. It's a really interesting process. And uh, that's where the writing skill comes in. You <laughs> yeah. know, you make it compelling. Yeah, I think I've gotten better at it. Or also, too, you know what, man? Like, 
Laura's book is like one that I really wanted to read. You know, like I would want to read that book if I was not the one writing it. And so like, I feel like as just viewing myself as the audience for it, I'm like, what do I want to know? You know, and then I just made it like that. I like helped her guide it in that book. Like as a fan, I'm like, I would love to know this part, you know? Um, So I think that really helped me with her book and that like, it wasn't just a job. That was just something like, if 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 that had come out, if that book had come out with like somebody else as her co-writer and it had been subpar, I would have been fucking heartbroken. You know, <laughs> like if it was a bad book, I would have been just so heartbroken about that. But like, I really like wanted her to have just like a, a special book for a special story. Absolutely. And yeah, like if you're reading it and you're compelled by it and you like it, that's a good sign. Like sometimes I'll listen to a piece of our podcast to check something and I'll end up listening to like half an hour and I'm like, whoa, this is good. And I'm like, that must be a good sign. Now with your book, Sellout, let's talk about this. First, tell us how Sellout came together. Well, uh, you know, I'll, I'll start by like echoing what you just said, which is that like, I am a big advocate of um, like, I've I, this is something that I've been telling myself like over the last year or two, and I really believe it. Just like make the thing that you would want to see in the world, you know. Like I really try to make books that I would want to buy. Um, granted, you know, like in the writing biz, sometimes you like take jobs just for money or whatever. Um, but the things that I'm really proud of are the things that like I would want to see in the world, you know. And uh, using that as a segue to sell out, like. Um, you know, this idea of like selling out and indie to major label fiascos, you know, it was like kind of shaped um, the this music that I liked growing up. And but I just don't feel like it had been done, really. It's just not been done in, in book form anyway. And and then, you know, you kind of have that eureka moment where you're like, um, why are why would why don't I just do this? Like, why I'm the guy to do this, you know? Um, and so I did, and, and it's been really, the reaction to it has been really weird. Cause like, um, it, it doesn't seem like a book that people are reading casually. Like I've gotten like a real, a lot of like really personal messages and responses to the book where like people legitimately think I wrote it like just for them, you know? <laughs> and I mean, that's, that's a great feeling, but it's sold like many thousand copies. So it's like, obviously I, <laughs> I wrote it for a bigger audience, you know? But like, yeah, it's, it's been so like crazy that people are like, wow, like this didn't, this is something I wanted to exist and it didn't. And I take that as like a big compliment, you know? Absolutely. That's what I love most about this book. Now I like music documentary stuff and interviews and all that. Even if it's not something I'm a hundred percent into, I could watch a documentary of James Brown and be compelled. I could listen to the story of Led Zeppelin and be compelled. But this is a compelling story literally about the bands that I love. And it's not just this happened, that happened, we talked to these people. It's written in a way that's presented as a compelling story for each band. Yeah, I mean, that's like been been my career guide is just like taking things that other people would either overlook or dismiss and taking it really seriously, you know? And because there is an audience for it and why don't they deserve it? And it always bugged me too, you know? Like when I was growing up, Pitchfork was always like, you know, talking about how great like spiritualized was or some like indie rock (laughs) shit. 
and you know and then alkaline trio was like little baby stuff and it's like well okay like yeah i realize there's like a sillier aspect to a band like alkaline trio but why are we like totally dismissing it like if you're gonna cover it put your whole ass into it you know and um and so yeah that's like been a big guide for me is and and, like i i really think that not to pat myself on the back but i really think this that sellout is like a really good book and it's that's hard for me to say like i'm really critical of stuff i make but i think it's a good book and i i remember um the the night uh what was it it was like the week after my book had come out and my editor and i went out to dinner to kind of like celebrate sell out and uh, i had just been watching this netflix show called love and there's this like one season there's this one episode where he gets a job writing for this like vampire teen drama show and all the other writers are really blasé about it. But he's, like, trying to hype them up. And he's like, don't you get it? Like, Sopranos, that could have just been a show about some dumb, like, mafia guys. But they were like, no, let's make art. And they made fucking art, you know? Um, and so, like, I told her. I was like, that's how I feel with this book. I was like, we could have made some little silly pop punk book. Uh, but we made art. We made fucking art. You know, like, we really tried here. Um, and so, yeah, like, I feel like it... it, it the reason it's been doing well is because like this kind of music doesn't get serious documentation. Yeah. And that's one thing that irritates me when people are like, Oh yeah, I used to listen to that or, Oh yeah. Yeah. That's like, I still take it seriously. You know, of course there's bands that, uh, stuck with me through the years and ones that didn't, but I think this is all. Well, I don't get why, you know, they just like launched that when we were young festival and like, whatever, think whatever you want about it or the bands playing, but like it, it, it bums me out so much that like every write up about it and even in the like even in the title of the festival itself it's like so nostalgia heavy you know like when we were young like remember when we used to like think this music was cool it's like it just bums me out and like imagine you know like granted there are some bands that like yeah had their heyday in 2004 5 6 whatever and they haven't done anything since but there's some bands that are like Jimmy Eat World, like, are they a nostalgia band? Like, they've been working hard for 20 fucking years. And, like, it would just bum me out if I was, like, one of those acts and just getting dismissed as, like, oh, like, a high school band. You know, it fucking sucks. Like, why do we talk about just that scene like that? Like, you ever say, like, oh, yeah, yeah, the Beatles are, like, a nostalgia band. You know, like, it's just so fucking weird. I say yeah. that. <laughs> I say that. Keith yeah. and I do that yeah, all the time. Yeah. I, yeah, that, that bums me out, because I would see that. I saw the same thing where people are, like, talking about it, and it's like, yeah, you're not mentioning red jumpsuit apparatus in the same sentence as Jimmy Eat World, right? Like, these are this is a real band. Like, I, I that band had a hit, like, what, in 2001? Like, that was a big thing. And then, like, everybody goes off on this, like... I, I can see it like people really have kind of been like, oh, look at this cash grab. It's like, OK, but there are some legitimate bands on there that I really do like. And I, I would love to see them. There's about 90 percent of them that I'm not a huge fan of. But I understand the appeal to trash someone's like taste in music. Like I always think of that. You ever see that clip of that guy who's at uh, like one of those wrestling conventions and he starts crying when people and he starts going well it's real to me god damn it <laughs> like to, i keep thinking of that like you know this shit meant something to me like when people like go oh it's just a guy screaming it's like no this is a fucking snap case are you out of your mind like this is the fuck <laughs> this defined me my junior and senior year of high school that's insane to me that you would 
like kind of belittle stuff like that. And I, Dan, I love that you've taken something that like we love so much and really assigned that kind of literary like legitimacy to it. That's, yeah. Thank you. I mean, like, you know, I think that the, like, you know, granted, like a lot of the stuff on that, like when we were young festival, I don't think is worth much of a second blink, you know, but you know, like I tried to distill the stuff out of it that I think is like uh, worth talking about. Like, I think it's funny too, Jimmy world specifically, like, you know, they're a really big band in the sense that like they had a top 10, they had like a top 10 single, like a, you know, like a billboard number one, I think maybe, or something like that. And they had like a platinum album and, and they've been going for, and they also have made like, at least one masterpiece album you know and like they've been going for like 20 years 10 albums nine albums or something like that and it's just like it was just so weird because i was like they've not been documented really you know like isn't that crazy like that there's no serious documentation of them and you know i don't know maybe they maybe they're not like they wouldn't necessitate an entire book i don't know maybe not but like they they should be documented in a real way and i'm glad that i got them you know and there's there's a bunch of bands like that um even somebody like uh you know like rise against it's so funny because rise against like i i I don't realize how big they are but like i went to riot fest and they were the headliner of the last day there was like a huge crowd for them fucking like massive and like they are a gigantic band and they've not been like documented either you know so it's just like i don't know i just feel like i felt like there was like really big were really big stories that just nobody had had documented really in a serious way you know like maybe they were like an alternative press cover story or something like that um but i i thought that this was me kind of like doing my part to document the time that i lived through so in the foreword of the book you mentioned a couple of bands that you wanted to write about, but didn't make the cut like cave Now that's a story I want to hear. What happened? Did you, did you write it and it got cut by an editor or did, no, you, did they no, just no. say, we're not going to include those, this those, those chapters were all like predetermined very early on. So there was nothing like getting cut. Um, I would love to do cave in and we've been talking about like doing an expanded paperback where maybe we have some, some like Q and A's in, in the back. And so, yeah, Caven's definitely on my list of like, okay, if we're going to do an expanded edition, I would at least like to have um, an interview there. I think that'd be cool. But yeah, it's just like some Sophie's Choices, you know, like the book's 400 and something pages long, but it's pretty long. But, you know, you have to cap it at some point. So like not everything could be in there. But yeah, maybe. And I've been like, I have my newsletter and I've been like trying to like do additional stories in this vein there too. I especially liked reading about Thursday because I was on a tour with them while War All the Time was out. I was a, I was selling merch for This Day Forward. I think it was oh, This, Day, this Forward, Day Forward Thursday. See that you know I yeah. I mentioned them the other day because and I don't mean to I don't mean to like I liked them a lot. I really did. Um, but that guy Vadim was that his name? Yeah. Yes. He um he was the person I always think of like because I think Jeff from Thursday is a very I think he was a very influential frontman in the sense that like he was he was on victory records but he wasn't singing like tough guy music and he had like a sensitivity about him but he was like a very charismatic electric performer and i think that after thursday came along i think you saw a lot of front people like 
aping his style a little bit. And I remember I would go see This Day Forward, and I was like, I feel like this guy's pulling some moves from Jeff here, you know? I could be wrong. I have a uh, I have a counterpoint to what you just said. Now, stay with me on this. Jeff learned those moves from Mike. Huh? He, huh? Oh, from Mike Shaw? I think so. Yeah, uh, maybe. I think my I think Jeff took a little flavor I from think, Mike because Mike was just always. You know Mike. what? You're, it's funny because like I looked up the time frame of them because I was like, oh yeah, a band like this, they forward probably borrowed from them. But then I was like looking and I was like, oh no, their album maybe came out. Did it come out like before Full Collapse or something like that? And I was like, huh, I think I got the timeline wrong. Maybe you know, Transient Effects came out before Full Collapse. Ah, I'm almost did. positive they had, they had two records out before yeah. Thursday and. Uh, I will say though that Mike became obsessed with that the drive-in and started mm. replicating their frontman. Oh so yeah, that, that's where <laughs> maybe <yeah. laughs> maybe in my uh, in my sellout to the sequel, I'll get a the stay forward chapter. They yeah. would love it. Let's get mm-hmm. it done. And uh, yeah, so I was on a tour. It was this day forward. Every time I die, Thursday and Thursday was touring on war all the time. And I remember me and my friend were talking to my girlfriend at the time, and we're like, oh man. Thursday's going to be huge. And she's like, you guys say this about every band. And we're like, no, 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 no. They're going to be like huge. Mm. And, you know, they were, they are in my mind. Yeah. It's really funny because I, I didn't like go see them and think like, oh man, they're going to be huge. I just like went and saw them and I was like, I like seeing this band. They're a really fun band to see live. But I never had the eye for like, oh yeah, I think that they could be bigger than this. You know, like, I don't know. I was, I never, I, maybe I just didn't like think in those terms. Uh, like I wasn't like an A&R guy. I was like 20 years old, you know, <laughs> I was like an 18 year old. Um, so maybe I just like didn't have an eye out for that. I just knew a good band from a, a one I didn't like, you know? Dan, you're not alone on that. I was in a band with Anthony Green from Circus Survive. And if you told me he was going to be in Circus Survive, I would have been like, you're a fucking liar. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, that's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. He's the kid I drive to school with in the morning. That's dumb. Here's a question. Did anyone get mad about anything you wrote when the book came out? Was someone like, why did you do that? Or why didn't you put this in? Or was anyone upset that they weren't included? Actually, it, it's well, no, it's funny that you just said that because I have learned now with like two books under my belt, I really always sweat um, that people are going to not like what was said about them or, or how they're portrayed in a book or something like that. Um, but I feel like what is a much more common response is people being like, Hey, I was there. How come you didn't interview me? Like, or like, I'm hurt that I was like cut out of this story or something like that. I feel like people who are, um, left out take more offense than, uh, the people in the book. Cause I really haven't heard much at all. Um, to be honest, um, negative from people who were in the book. And, you know, like I, I tried to like, I think the book is pretty objective. You know, I really tried to keep any opinions that I had out of it. Um, so if you don't like what Tony Victory said about you, that's not me. You know, like you can get mad at Tony Victory. I didn't say it. You know, I'm just reporting here. Um, so I just tried to, all I could do was just be like as accurate uh, as possible, you know? And so that like, you're not like getting mad at me, the author. I'm just the middleman here. Uh, so no, like I've, I've actually had pretty good responses so far from, from people in it. Did you actually talk to Tony? Oh yeah. Yeah. How was that? Uh, really interesting because his reputation, um, preceded him. 
you know, so like going into it, I was like a little bit nervous, I guess. But then yeah. I don't know. He was like up up front. He was like really maybe he knew what his reputation was. And up front, he was really nice and friendly and stuff like that. And then uh, and then like as I was poking him a little bit with my questions, he got a little bit more defensive and about stuff. And, you know, like the Tony victory that we all know came out a little bit. Um but yeah, I don't know. I I I don't know what I expected. I expected him to be like gruff right off the bat, but he he tried to play like nice guy for a little while, you know. And I don't know which is the real Tony, like which is like resting Tony, you know, like angry, and there's like a, a little bit of a nice veneer on the top, or if he's a nice guy and there's like a little bit of like pugnacious angry guy on top. I, I don't know, you know. So like, um, so yeah, that 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 was all the interaction I had with him though. So walk us through the night before the book comes out. Ooh, Did you sleep at all? That's a good question. I've never been asked that before. Good question. The night before the book came out, it was actually kind of like the the week, the Sunday before, because like, the book came out on a Tuesday. And it was actually more the Sunday because we had the whole publicity plan that everything just came together. And, um, and like, so Sunday I was like ready because I knew that the next day, Rolling Stone was going to run um, an excerpt from it. And that was like the first publicity thing. And then Tuesday, the book was going to come out and I was going to be on NPR. And so like, like I knew going to bed Sunday night, I was like, well, you know, no turning back. Like tomorrow it all starts happening, you know? So yeah, I don't remember exactly what my, exactly what my mindset was. I was excited to kind of like get it over with. And in a way too, I, I think I was like, uh, like I don't know it's it's really weird and I know it's like this with albums too but like man I had finished writing the book in like March <laughs> and uh you know it didn't come out till October 26th so I had like 9 months where I was just chilling <laughs> like you know and I'm like trying to work on other new stuff and by the time it came out, I was like, oh, right. Yeah, I got to get back into the mindset of this book. You know, like I'd really for not forgotten it, but it just seemed like it's, oh, this is never going to come out ever, you know, like nine months. This is so long. And then like one day I was like, oh, shit, the book comes out in like two weeks, you know. Um, so it's like real. It's happening. So, yeah, that was that was kind of like my pre book uh, mentality. Talk about release day. Were you anxious? Were you excited? Were you glued to social media? Yeah, that that like kind of sucks. Like it 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 was just um you know like yeah being glued to you had to because you have to do it. You have to like it's funny because like the 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 month leading up to my book, I had to do all this work that I got so tired of. Where you're like, hey, don't forget to pre-order my book. Like pre-order my book and you get this. Like don't forget this. And like nobody cares because it's like a product that nobody knows what it is yet, you know? And I'm just like, don't forget only 20 days, only 10 days, you know? And I was like, oh, I can't wait for this fucking book to come out. <laughs> and then it did. And it got so much easier because everybody's posting their pictures of the book and everybody's posting their interviews with me and it gets so much easier. You're just like, oh, I just need to repost this. I don't need to think of like a, a, a witty comment to go along with, you know, like a pre-sale link or something like that. Um, so yeah, once it came out, it became like, so much easier to promote and like people do a lot of work for you i'm very grateful for everybody that posted like pictures on instagram and stuff like that um it, it just gets like a weight lifted that where you're like not the only one promoting the book you know 
Yeah, there there was a great response to it. It was all over Twitter and Instagram, which was cool. What did you do that day? Did you do anything special to celebrate and say like, yes, it's done? Um, I did. You know what's funny? My um, my landlords are are my basically like family to me, and they're very close, and and they um, they know that I don't like celebrating myself and. They they thought I was like some kind of lunatic because I like stayed in my apartment for a, a year and just wrote and they didn't see me and they were like worried about me, you know, like, um, <laughs> but they know that I'm just like, a, I don't really like being celebrated at all. And it makes me uncomfortable. So they were like, listen, the day the book comes out six o'clock, just don't make any plans. And I was like, no, I don't know what you're doing, but not, I, the, we don't need to do anything. And they're like, just, it's happening. You just got to do it. And I was like, fuck, you know? <laughs> okay. And um, so like I got in the car and I didn't know where we were going. And they just drove me to like a restaurant that I really like an Italian place. And when I got there, some of my friends were there. It was like, um, you know, Jeff Rosenstock and his wife, Christine, and some of my friends, Jamie and, uh, they, they, they just like had a little dinner for me and it was just low key and it was nice. It was maybe like 10 of us total and that was it. And and I was on NPR that day. So like I had, I was like, I kept getting all these texts from people. They're like, Oh, I hold I heard you on NPR. I heard you on NPR. And then it was funny. Cause like three hours later, I got the same text from people on the West coast who were just hearing it like, Oh, you're on NPR. <laughs> um, so it was just like an overwhelming day where there's just like notifications and messages are kind of like going crazy. Um, and you know, I've, I've, I know well enough that you just, in a way you can get addicted to that. And I just knew like, you know, this will go away this or it will, like it will subside. Uh, so don't get like addicted to it or anything like that. So like all the nice stuff, it's, I, I take it with a, I'm grateful for it, but I take it with a grain of salt, you know, like in, in the long run, um, I can't, I'm not responsible for like what happens after the release. I I'm only responsible for the book. And so like the book itself, when I look at it, I'm really proud of it. And that, and that's all I can ask for. And you know, the, this like response that has had has just kind of been like icing on the cake. Yeah. that That's a fantastic thing, you know, that your friends and landlords got together and did that for you. And cause I'm the same way. I, I don't like to make a big deal out of things and I'm resistant, but then like, I don't say anything and there's no celebration. And I'm like, well, fuck everybody. They should have done something. Like, so it's just this self fulfilling negative prophecy. But you know, I'm getting better with all. That it was stuff. nice to like put it put a cap on it. You know, like or or like do some sort of like. And I'll remember that. You know, like if you ask me uh, what I did on Pub Day, and all, the only memories I had were just like staring at my phone and retweeting Rolling Stone or whatever. You know, uh, yeah, I wouldn't have remembered <laughs> that. But now, like I, I always remember. I who I was with um that night and it's it's really special you know that's great yeah it was a great book there was a great response and yeah you can't get addicted to it because the accolades don't last forever you gotta move on to the next thing I think of uh Street Fighter 2 when you beat the game as Ryu he's like uh ceremony means nothing to him <laughs> only the next fight. yeah and that that's that's kind of my attitude like I I do the podcast I ship it off. It's done. It's posted. I'm already into the next one. I'm just, I'm on to the next one. The other thing too is that like, um, you know, I've gotten like bad responses to to things I've made, you know, and that can drive you crazy too. And so like I, 
I had like a real, like years ago, like I had a realization that like, you really can't like, it's one thing to say, like, I don't care about bad press, you know, but then also too, I think if you're going to take that mentality, you have to also commit to not really caring too much about good press, you know, cause it's kind of all the same and, and it does neither of it affects your art. And so like, I, I kind of like all the stuff that the nice stuff that people wrote, like I'm super grateful for, but at the same time, like, um, it's not, it, you know, hard to explain, but like, I just try not to get hung up on it. Cause it's, it doesn't have anything to do with what I made in a way like you can't control it. Like once something leaves your hands like that, it, you don't have any control over it. And so like, I try to take the, the good and bad as exactly the same in a weird way. So Dan, I have a quick question. You're talking about kind of like the idea of like finalizing the book and it, and being published. Uh, how much say do you have in terms of like, so like the blurbs that they use on the outside, like the, to kind of promote it, like, do you get to choose those? Is that just the the publisher gets that? Like, because some of the blurbs are people that are in the book, right? No, no, that's, that's actually one of the troubles that I had with the blurbs was like, I really, when I was writing this book, like called in every favor that I had, like every famous person I knew is in the book. And so like when I wanted to have blurbs on the cover, I thought it would be almost like cheating to have somebody who's in the book saying nice things about it. I don't know if there's like an ethical thing. Probably I'm just imagining that. But all the people who I'm friends with who are like semi-famous, like I'm, I'm pretty good friends with like Shirley Manson, but she's in the book. And so I'm like, well, I can't ask her either, you know? And so a lot of the people that I asked were like newer artists, like Jeff Rosenstock. Cause I was like, no, that would be cool to have like a new artist uh commenting on you know like um because this this the scene documented is like 20 years old at this point um but i was like oh but yeah one day people will write about jeff rosenstock and so it's cool to have his blurb on the book um but yeah i really i really called in like every favor i had to get people in quoted in the book and then i was like shit i, I don't know who else i know who's famous you know so, Dan, you have Reply Alt, which is a newsletter and accompanying podcast, yes? yes? And you also have the No Plus Ones podcast, mm -hmm. yes? So you're a fellow podcaster. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that right after here, right after this, now that I'm all out of material. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you feel about other podcasts and other podcasters? Do you like them? Do you hate them? Are you competitive? Uh, is there a silent cold war going on? What is your, what is your approach? Okay, to so I'm not competitive in that because I don't really listen to podcasts and the podcast that I do with my friend, we really try, I, I would be so happy if literally nobody listened to it and we could just rant, like we should really just call each other and not record it. Um, but the one thing that I get a little, just a little bit not competitive, but have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. And this, this was a big thing that happened. Like, I feel like it, it, the numbers went up during the pandemic, but like artists, like musicians who are like, Oh, I, I could podcast, you know, that for some reason bums me out. Like when a, a musician is trying to do journalism, cause I'm like, no, I picked this shitty lane here. That's not going to make <laughs> me any money. You picked, your shitty lane, you stay in your lane. You know what I mean? Like you're in your lane, I'm in my lane 
And that, and that, you don't see me getting on stage and trying to fucking play drums, you know, like that's, you stay over there. Um, so that, that's the only thing that like, I'm always like weary of what I see. And I'm like, oh, this guy's starting a podcast too, huh? All right. Well, yeah, it's like a joke that everyone just starts a podcast. Totally. It's like, it's like photography in the sense that like, uh, <laughs> it's, it's the art form that everybody thinks that they can do, but do, that doesn't mean that you should do it. How do you have time to do two podcasts? Do you have someone to edit it for you or help no, out? No, I'll edit it. Um, the reply all, you know, like I, I, um, those are like just interviews and I truly don't do any editing on those at all. Like I really want it to feel like just an hour of talking with somebody. I do not, I don't fuck with them at all. And, you know, granted that's probably a disservice. They could probably be better if I put literally a quarter of my ass into it, but I don't, I just was like, no, it'll just be like a very like raw interview and I'll, I post the audio and that's really it. Um, and I like that. I like that feel. I don't know if people want more out of it, but I that that to me is like, I don't know. I, I This is if you guys do this, this is no disrespect to your podcast, but I'm always joking about how I'll turn on a podcast and it's like 10 minutes of like hitting you with ads and be like, don't forget to subscribe and and like it on iTunes and whatever. And I'm like, I don't want, I don't like, I would like a podcast that didn't bombard people with this shit all the time. And so like, I try really hard to just avoid any of that stuff at all costs. Granted, nobody wants to advertise with my podcast, (laughs) but still like, I just try to keep that off people's ears, you know, like, let's just get right into the convo. Yeah, we actually uh, front loaded this episode with ads for sellout but uh we're gonna we're gonna pull I mean, do you out. have any uh, like if, if you want me to say yeah like casper mattresses are great love it squarespace <laughs> that's a great great place to build a website for sure outback steakhouse that blooming onion you can't beat it it's a good deal what else take any ads i'll i'll do it zip recruiter and uh who else does podcast stuff all the time so casper's one of them zip recruiter and then what was the other it's like one like one's three lagunitas ip lagunitas and uh oh uh foursquare Foursquare, yeah. the ones where it's like, guys, shave your pubes more. Uh, here's a, a oh, right, manscaped. Oh, yeah, manscaped. Yeah, manscaped. Oh, yeah to, uh, what is that called? The only advertiser that has reached out to us more than once is some kind of nut cream. It's like, hey, put this cream on your nuts and they'll smell See, I better. Would do and that, I was like, because I think that's funny. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing that. We we have uh, too much class here at the new scene. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you also had a live event for the release of Sellout at St. Vitus. Now, this looked really cool, and it must have been really cool for you. Uh, you had Jeff Rickley there. There was a line around the place to get in. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, yeah, well, I had two, um, one in New York and one in L.A. And the New York one, yeah, that was at Vitus, which is was crazy because it's like this um, place where I've seen some of the most like legendary nights of my life have been spent there. Um and yeah, it was uh, me and Jeff, and that was a really special uh, thing because like my East Coast friends came, and I hadn't ba- been back to the East Coast in like two years, and my parents were there, and that was really cool. And then we did it in L.A. at this place called Permanent Records Roadhouse, which is like a bar slash record store. And my friend Jonah Ray, who's like a comedian, he's the host of Mystery Science Theater, um, he did it, and this is nothing against the event I had with Jeff Rickley. It was so much fun, but Jonah being a comedian, like we just got to like riff and we barely talked about the book. We were like doing impressions of like, he has this impression of Craig Finn 
He has an impression of Milhouse Van Houten singing the Hold Steady songs. And like, you know, and then, and then that just opened it up to like what impressions we could do of people. And so like we barely talked about the book at all. You know, it was just like such a blast. And I really want to do more events and maybe for the paperback I will because it just seems like we d- we're doing like such a niche thing, but the people who it's for are like really into it. You know, like they're like, we are acknowledged. We like this, um, like comp punk comedy, weird stuff, you know, like that's cool. So I would like to do, I wanted to do more, but like it, Delta at the time was getting weird and I didn't want to have to cancel events. So I just pared it down to one East coast, one West coast, but, uh, I get a lot of requests for Chicago, um so i would i would really like to set something up there so like maybe around the paperback i'll do more of those events because they're really fun somebody told me that it felt like a punk show but for books and i took that as like a big compliment you know i that that's the vibe I'm, i was going for so here's the question what's next um i <laughs> i've been writing a, a novel i've been trying to write a novel i started writing a novel i'm thinking about trying to start to write a novel. <laughs> uh, no, I've, I've written two chapters of a novel and I've never done that. I've never like engaged in fiction, but it's fucking awesome. Cause check this out. You just make it up. You just fucking make it. It's like lying. It's, it's great. Like with, I've been like struggling so much with like making a beautiful story out of like the information and the quotes that I already have. If I could just make it up and people could say whatever, like, oh, my God. So, um, yeah, I've been trying to write a novel. So I I really would like to finish it. It's on my, like, map for the year. I find that writing is one of the hardest things to do. Like, whenever I have to write something for work, it takes me weeks to actually sit down and finally do it. Do you find that? Is it difficult for you to get started? Um, Getting started with anything is always difficult difficult um i am a person of routine so if i am like two weeks into a routine it's actually super easy getting started on projects on anything is tough so it's like it takes like a week or two of really just forcing yourself through something and then once you get far along you know you're invested in it and you're good at it ostensibly so it's like you know it's it's like a lot easier okay so folks Let's recap. Now, here's what we're going to do. Number one, we are going to purchase Tranny, Confessions of Punk Rock's Most Infamous Anarchist, the Laura Jean Grace by autobiography, co-written by Great Dan, o- co-written by Dan Best, Ozzie. Greatest rock memoir ever written. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or number 42, <laughs> at least, according you know, to that some list. <laughs> of, uh, Look, I'm grateful to be on that list, but some of those 41 were uh, questionable, okay? Bob Dylan, come on. Does this guy not have enough accolades that he's got to be the number one book? Come on. (laughs) Yeah, so we're going to read the book, right? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Or just purchase it. I don't even care if you read it or not. I get the sale once you you buy it. There you go. Purchase it. Now, and, and unless you've been living under a rock, you should know that Sellout, the major label feeding frenzy that swept punk, emo, and hardcore, is out. It's out. We have to purchase it. And if we feel like it, reading it, yes? Uh, yeah, the the reading part is like, you know, give it, whatever. Once I get the sale, that's all I'm concerned with. <laughs> but folks, I can vouch for the book. I have read it. It's excellent. So many good bands. I mean, I'm reading about all the bands I love. Jimmy Eat World, At the Drive-In, Thursday, Blink-182, Green Day. They've got it all. Yeah, greatest rock book ever written, for sure. 
I mean, I, I'm going to go ahead and say yes to that because these are the bands I actually care about. What do you think of that? Uh, yeah, like I, it's uh, again, like it, people tell me that it feels like I wrote a book for them, and that I take that very flattering because many people have said that. So it's like, okay, well, I guess I wrote a book specifically for a lot of people. Yes, thank you for writing that book for, for me. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then we're so after we read Tranny and Sellout, we're going to read the Reply All newsletter and then listen to the podcast and then listen to No Plus One's podcast. You know, right? that, that last one is like, don't that that's put that at the way bottom of your to do list. Like, that's that can that's chopping block material right there. That's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Dan. This has been a really fun conversation, and uh, we just want to thank you for taking the time to speak with thank us you. tonight. You guys were so uh, polite. <laughs> I don't know why, but the, the word scene like, really invokes a, a mean spirit, and then you guys are like, started off talking about like East Coast attitude, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to get tough for this. But you guys are just very polite boys. Did you expect to come on and us be like, Yo, what's your book about? What are you doing? <laughs> I've gotten some of those, but I ex I expected, I don't know, maybe again, this is just the word scene in there. Uh, I thought we were going to have to like do that thing where we're like out remembering each other. Like, oh, oh yeah, no. yeah, yeah. No, oh, I'm talking God, about the Birch no. Hill. Yeah, no, 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 no. Oh, yeah. Well, their their singer used to be my uh, my babysitter. So I oh, you totally. Um, I thought it was going to be like that type of thing. <laughs> but I didn't feel oh, like yeah. I was like outdone or challenged at all. It was great. Except for that this day forward thing. <laughs> this is the new scene. <laughs> right. The, the kinder scene. Yeah. There you have it, folks. Dan Ozzy. Excellent conversation. Excellent human being. I liked hearing about the specifics of how he got a writing career, because in my mind, Tommy, that sounds like one of the hardest things to do. Like, how do you become a writer? How do you how do you do it? I wouldn't even know where to start. Well, now I do, because Dan <laughs> Ozzy told us. <laughs> and the book is great. I'm not bullshitting you people. The book is really good. It's written in the way that each story of each band is a story. It's like a compelling tale of their major label experience. And some of those stories I was even part of in my own little way. I'm not saying I was like in the bands or anything like that, but I listened to the bands or I was out on a little piece of a tour with Thursday. So it was just, it was really interesting to read. And like I told Dan, these are the bands that I care about. To read about these bands in this way, is great. This is this is the book for me. I really loved the whole conversation. Yeah, there's even bands that I I wasn't like a like I didn't really know a lot about, but the chapter still like the one about the distillers is really really good. <laughs> like I don't really know that band super well, but the kind of influence of Tim from Rancid and all the things that went along with them kind of coming to prominence was like, oh shit, I didn't know this. I have to go back and check this band out. So it's definitely also. It's definitely uh, one of those books that it'll expose you to some music that you can then go back and look at and go, oh, I've really never given this band a chance or I, I never really spent time listening to this band's catalog. Maybe I should check them out because the stories are they're just so compelling. They really are great. Yeah, the way Dan writes it, he makes it interesting. And I will say this. This is the other thing I kept thinking about this uh, when he was talking about, you know, his first like 
you know, seven to 10 years in writing and how he was, you know, kind of working in all these different places. And, you know, the stuff that started going up on noisy was stuff, you know, came up by just coincidence. And he was like, Oh, they just were interested in something I was writing about. I remember when I was doing my, my degree in journalism, a lot of the people that are teaching you are adjunct professors. So these are people that work in, you know, journalism for a living. And I would say every single one of them with the sole exception of one, uh, discouraged us from trying to pursue a career in writing. <laughs> they were like, <laughs> find another job where writing is a key part, but do not try to cobble a live. They kept using that phrase together. Don't cobble a living together by writing pieces one on top of the other. It is a never ending cycle of pitching, writing, pitching, writing, rejection. And I was like, Oh, that sucks. <laughs> like, all right, never mind. <laughs> like, I, w- I will never try this. <laughs> I get it. I get it. It's like telling someone don't go into music. You know, the gig life is tough. Oh yeah. And it it doesn't pay off for everybody. Well, actually, let me it re, it doesn't pay off for most people. But if you you, you truly yeah. really have that passion and you want to be a part of it and it's something that you find as not only rewarding but something that you can't do without, like you have to do it. Like this is what you do then it's going to You have they, to love it. Yeah, for sure. Like Dan said he 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 loves writing and he was just writing about the things he loves. You have to love it. Much much like how we love this podcast, Tommy. Exactly. Like you can't you can't do what we're doing every week if your only end goal is like I want to be popular or <laughs> I want to talk to X band. Like you have to really love the work. Yeah, because the 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 reality of it is is that this could go nowhere and it could go anywhere and I'll still be in the same place of like, I love talking to my friend and talking with bands about music. I love exactly. This is what we did way before the podcast. Remember sitting in that little room in the Shaw house Oh my God! Yeah. and we would just play records and listen to records and whatever girls were hanging around at the time would be upset with us. Cause they'd be <laughs> like, is this all you guys do? And we'd be like, yeah. Yeah, this is it. This is the extent of it. I go skateboarding. We were sometimes. probably not very fun to be around. <laughs> hey, they still hung <laughs> now out. Now that all I the think time. about it, those poor women. Like, if I could go back, I would have like gone out to eat with them or something, and you know, instead of just sitting around talking about bands. Like, all right, let's listen to this Cryptopsy song four more times, and then we'll go do something. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've done it, Tommy. Another episode, but before we conclude. Let's talk about the most important subject of all. What's that? Ourselves. Oh, jeez. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) See, I was hoping you were going to come in in professional form and be like, ourselves. And I'd be like, yes. No, I thought thought this was going to be another recap of like where they should go and put in uh, some reviews and where to give five stars. (laughs) No, I did that already. Look, I'll hammer them with that again at the end. Okay. Tommy, tell me how you are doing as a human being, individual living on the planet Earth. I'm doing great right now. Uh, Everybody's pretty healthy. Baby has an ear infection, not too serious, got medication. She's already on the mend. Everything's going really well. Uh, I'm a little disappointed. You had an interview, right, for this job? Oh, yeah. Uh, So I had an interview for the job. It was offered to me, however... Uh, I can't actually formally accept it until later this month. They are coming up with a new salary scale. 
And the new salary scale has to be approved by the board. The board doesn't meet until I think it's February 16th or 18th. Um, when they vote on that, then they'll be able to make me a finalized offer. But uh, in my head, I'm like, I'm, I'm not taking a position where I don't know the salary. That's insane. So uh, yes. the interview went really well, though. Uh, I, it was not what I expected it uh, in that they kind of switched it up halfway through. But I think that was part of the interview was like, can he adapt to the change? Because this job is constantly in flux. Uh, it's constantly changing in terms of responsibilities. It's constantly changing in terms of the people you're managing. So uh, I think they did a great job with it. Uh, the biggest concern I have is what this will look like in terms of my time uh, as it starts, but it's a long way off. This wouldn't start until the fiscal year ends, which would be July 1st. So uh, we'll just have to cross that bridge when we get to it and we'll kind of figure out what that looks like. But like we've done before, We'll always just make it work. We always just make it work. So, Exactly. Well, Tommy, I have good news. You've also been promoted at the new scene, and you will now edit the show and handle the social media. What do you think of that? Oof. All right. Welcome to the last episode of the new scene. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's not the last one. It'll just be like, it'll, it'll get done on a bi-monthly basis. <laughs> yeah, the show is now once a month. <laughs> and it might not even come out at all. No, I, I'm happy for you. I hope the salary is good and that you get the job. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. I hope I get the job too, because it really, um, I think I've gotten pretty decent at teaching. I don't, I wouldn't say I'm a great teacher by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I think I'm pretty good at most of the things that I do. Um, and I would really love to be able to help, especially t- people that are new to teaching or newer to teaching, just get better. Uh, and that's the biggest thing is, is, you know, all of this is about making sure the kids have a great education. And, you know, that starts with having teachers that know what they're doing and have quality people that are above them to kind of like put the steer them in the right direction and kind of fine tune their craft. So I, I would love to be a part of that, but uh, we'll see what the future brings. Uh, we'll, see, well, actually, we'll see what those numbers look like. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> but uh, yeah, everything's going really good on my end. Everybody's healthy. Everybody's happy. I got my interface in the mail. That's ready to go. So I'm ready to start my home recording journey. And uh, that's it. That's all I got. How are you? I'm good. You know, I'm surprised you're you're getting to the home recording before uh, me. Like you're actually doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm happy. Because I, I don't think I just, I'm not good. I really want to do it, but there's just no time, you know, yeah. between the show and whatever spare time I have. I like to jump on Twitch for an hour or two and... So I I don't know I guess record I guess home recording is just not in the cards for me right now. So uh when I do do it when I do do it Tommy you're going to have to show me the ropes. Oh for sure. I uh, you know me. I love talking about stuff like this and explaining it in great detail. <laughs> you love talking. Period. Eh, yeah, sometimes depends on what it's about. If it's not about something some, don't, If it's listen, about something don't bullshit I it, me. It, it, if it's about no, something you love hold on hold on hold on. You love talking. Period. Do you not realize that? We just went through that whole episode. I probably said like four dozen words. <laughs> no, I'm not talking about the interviews, Tommy. You know you know that's different. I'm talking about regular life. Oh, like in my personal life? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah I love talk I love telling I love telling stories more than I love talking. When you're talking, do you realize that you're talking a lot? Like are you like, I'm talking right now and I love it? Or do you just do it 
and you don't realize what's going on? Uh, I think I've become more conscientious of it over the past, like probably three or four years, just in that a lot of times, one of the big things I, I tried to work on in my classroom, just in ter- like even talking to the students, like that economy of words, making sure that I'm explaining it in the, the least amount of words possible. So the kids have the most amount of time to be able to work. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think I've been a lot more conscientious of that, but I don't know with adults. Maybe I don't, I actually probably don't think of it as often when I'm talking to like, say Kelly, like if I'm talking to my wife, I don't know if I, I don't think I'm conscientious of it. Does she ever say like, okay, that's enough for right now. Or, or does she ever like walk away mid sentence? No, no, no. I, I don't get that from her, but I do. This has happened in like the last, this has happened in the last like month where we were in bed talking about something and as I'm finishing this story, I'll lean over and go, all right, I'm really tired. I'm going to go to bed. And I realize I've been talking to a person that's unconscious for God knows how long, <laughs> for how long <laughs> she's just, she's just falling asleep while I'm telling a story. I'm like, ah, all right, well, let me just let me turn off the Simpsons and go to bed. <laughs> I'm drilling into you, Tommy, because I have nothing to report right now. <laughs> <laughs> So you don't like, I literally have nothing to share. There's nothing going on. But like you, like with you, no good, no news is good news. That's, that's a good thing. Usually if you have a lot to talk about, it's something that's bothering you. Like it's something that's like, well, maybe that's a problem, Tommy. Maybe I need to talk more about the good times. That's a good point. Yeah. Maybe that is something. You know what it is? There, there is some like good stuff going on, but I can't talk about it on the show. Gotcha. I'll I'll, t- I'll tell you after. All right, I'll fair, tell you after. fair enough. Yeah, it's like personal life stuff. But like, don't get excited, folks. It's not like a relationship or anything crazy like that. It's a, that's that's territory I want to stay away from for a while. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, until yeah. until you're ready. Like you know, you'll feel, yeah, you'll yeah. feel that when they, when that comes in, you'll go, oh, okay, this is this actually makes sense and feels natural. But. I think I am ready, but. Here, I'll, I'll reveal some something on the show, Tommy. I think I am ready, but everyone that I like would be a not good situation. You know what I'm saying? And maybe that's something to look at. If Can I restate it in a way to make sure that I'm 100% on what you're saying? Yes. Uh, the people that you're interested in have aspects of their life that are necess- aren't necessarily healthy for you as a person exactly fair enough gotcha yes so i just look at it through a lens tommy and i i do not engage gotcha see how see how centered i am see how mature i am now that's a i mean here's my thing every time anybody was interested in me at at any point in my dating career i was just hyped on the fact that they were interested in me exactly that was enough for me to be like okay and now i'm infatuated let's go (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well that was kind of my problem before not that exactly but um I, i've done a lot of introspection tommy and i think i know what to do and what not to do the next time gotcha how about that well, you live and you learn man i mean yeah I, you've, you've got to you've got to well folks we're out of time so i'll remind you one more time apple podcast reviews spotify reviews shirt Buy the shirt. It's probably the best looking shirt that's ever been created, right? I agree with that. There you go. Tommy agrees, so it is true. So we're out of time for this episode. We're back next week with a brand new episode and a brand new guest. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next time.
Oh!